Hey Siri, let's start the podcast. And in this episode, I'm talking to Adam Chaya, the founder of Siri. And he's going to be sharing some of the personal insights into his journey, his dealings with Apple, and his personal dealings with Steve Jobs. This is a fascinating conversation, one not to be missed. Welcome to the Tech Seeking Human podcast brought to you by Dynatrace. Adam, welcome to the Dynatrace Go event. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. So last year, the Dynatrace Go event, we had Steve Wozniak. um, And uh, in our pre-briefing chat, we talked about Siri and um, what one of his favorite applications is. Do you want to let the cat out of the bag almost straight up and go talk a little bit about that? Sure. So Steve Wozniak, as you know, is co-founder of Apple. He's also a huge fanboy. He tries all their products. He stands in line. Uh, and he was asked, what is your favorite app, iPhone app of all time? And he, he's on the record for saying uh, Siri, but not the Siri that showed up in your iPhone later on, the original app. Uh, it was incredible. It changed my life. It did things that, that I never thought were, were possible. And in his, his quote, he talks about some of the examples uh, he asked Siri that he he liked that just changed his his perspective of what software can do. He said, "Give me uh, the prime numbers in sequence," and it's you know after forty eight, and it started giving numbers. He's like, "Didn't expect that." He, he his did... wife asked him, "What's the largest lake in California uh, by volume?" Had no idea how to find that on the web. He couldn't Google it. And Siri was starting to answer those questions. So he, uh, he still lists Siri as his favorite app of all time. How did that original app differ? Because you just mentioned at the very start that that was slightly different. How are they, how are they different? Um, I think in one context, uh, the original Siri application would actually combine multiple services together. So if you said, find me a great restaurant for tomorrow night, seven different services would compete and cooperate and work together to answer your question. That that never really happened with any of the assistants that came afterwards. So for instance, OpenTable would find a reservation, CityGrid would have the photos of the restaurant, restaurant.com would give you discounts to the restaurant, Uh, Yelp would have reviews, Gaio would have kind of high-end reviews. And so it was really an ecosystem play, an open platform where services could come together to help respond to users' questions. So help us go back and let's just paint a little bit of a timeline for everyone and go like, where did the original idea for Siri come from? Clearly, you just developed it overnight and Apple took it and boom, you were like instant success because that's what the kids these days believe happens. But maybe give us a bit of a background. So like, where did the original idea concept come from? How did you evolve it? And then bring us through to eventually launching it in the App Store. And was there any hesitation as well as to going into an App Store? Sure. Great question. So the original idea for Siri... um, happened in 1993 so 28 years ago i think and and uh and counting um the year before i ever saw a web browser and i said someday there are going there's going to be content and services around the world that we will want to access running on other people's computers so we'll need a way to discover those services and to interact with them 
And I never got the idea of, of using web pages and hyperlinks as the way that you would interact with content and services. I thought everyone would have an assistant that they could just talk to and say, I want to know this or I want to do that. And the assistant would break your request into subtasks, route the subtask to the correct uh, services around the world, web services, we would call them today, uh, aggregate results, present them to the user, learn from the interactions and help the user get the job done using all of those distributed services around the world. So in 1993, I was at SRI International, used to be called Stanford Research Institute, and I built a first prototype. And then year after year, decade after decade, I kept refining and working on new prototypes until uh, 2007, when I joined with two other co-founders, Doug Kitlaus was CEO, I was the main technology person, Tom Gruber was VP of design. Uh, we raised some money, we started a company, and we worked for two years uh, to build that, that Siri app that Steve Wozniak was talking about. Uh, we launched it into the app store as a free app. Anyone could download it, but there were millions of other apps uh, at that time. Um, reviews were good. And then about two weeks afterwards, we got the surprise phone call. So we were in our startup, our, our iPhone rings, and it says Apple Cupertino. And we're like, swipe, 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 swipe. And you know, back then, sometimes it wouldn't answer on the first swipe, and you'd be like, come on, come on. And we answer, and we hear this voice. Hey, it's Steve. What you doing? Want to come over to my house tomorrow? And we're like, Steve Jobs is calling us unannounced. How did he get our phone number? We, we, we wanted to know, because... Many people don't know this, but Siri means secret in Swahili. And we were very stealthy. We had no sign on our door, no website. You know, we're like, how does Steve Jobs know to call us on this phone number? Uh, but we went over to his house. Uh, he made it clear he wanted to buy the company. We talked about the future of technology. And then we um, said, thank you. We're flattered, not interested, goodbye. And we left. And wow. so that was almost the end of the story. <laughs> Why? Well, so, okay, so there's so much in this. But so at that dinner that you had with him, you got pitched and you said no. Was it because of the money or what was the situation? We had, you know, we were entrepreneurs. We had a vision and kind of acquisition was not what we were going for at the time. Um, we, you know, we had signed actually a distribution deal uh, with a vendor who was going to place us on every phone that shipped uh, just about in America, except for iPhones. Um, and, you know, so we had, we had just raised a B round of money. We had our distribution deal. We were so excited about our future as an independent company. And so it just came so out of the blue. Um, we, you know, just didn't, that's not what we were looking for. So we, you know, respectfully um, said, thank you, but we're not interested. But it's Steve Jobs, right? So what happened next? Yeah, so Steve Jobs came back with Scott Forstall about a month later, and they did a really good job of convincing us that we could change the world more with Apple than as an independent little startup. I mean, we were 22 people, um, so pretty small. And uh, we decided to, to, to join in. We worked really hard um, for about 18 months. And then on October 4th, 2011, 
uh, we launched the Apple, the, the integrated built-in version uh, of Siri uh, that everyone now you know knows and loves. So just so we're clear though, so a month later, Steve Jobs came back and basically re-pitched to you. You guys then said yes. Yes, that, that's right. It, um, you know, the money did get much, much higher. So that helped make it interesting. But really the clincher was he um, made it clear that he understood our vision. He knew what we wanted to do. And it was really the same consistent vision ever since 1993. I wanted an open ecosystem for AI where every developer in the world, um, just like they can build a website today, just like they can build a mobile app, I thought they would build um, a service, a capsule, a knowledge capsule that would plug into an assistant um, and that all the knowledge of the world uh, would be, you know, accessible through this multimodal, conversational, interactive, personalized uh, assistant metaphor. Um, and Steve said that he would make Siri not just a standalone thing, but a component, a feature of every interface that Apple pulled out, uh, put out. So on phones, on Apple TVs, on desktops, um, because voice is not only a standalone interface. I explained to him on that first day that we met, I said, look, if it's on the screen, the best thing you can do is touch it, directly manipulate it with a mouse, with your finger, and the iPhone revolutionized interfaces by having touch, new touch gestures and, and a touch interface. Mm -hmm. But despite designers' best work to try to anticipate what you need on the screen to do the next task, many times what you want to do next is off the screen. And there, the best way is to ask, ask for it. And the ultimate interface, the perfect interface is multimodal, where you can be clicking and touching and, and directly manipulating, but then asking for something and do the two so seamlessly, it feels natural and beautiful. And he, he understood that. He said, I will put this into everything that Apple does. I will focus on an open ecosystem. And um, that convinced us that he, he really would help us achieve our vision. So we joined. I, firstly, on behalf of everyone, congratulations, because, you know, Siri has become a, I used it yesterday, probably four or five times. My kids use it natively to their homeschooling at the moment. So they're setting alarms constantly. My daughter's voice searching instead of searching by typing, because that's how she's learned to do it. Um, I actually asked last night before I went to sleep, I said, who invented Siri? Um, and it came back with Apple. So I don't know if there's a little, uh, little few wires crossed there, but, you know, we know the story. Um, but tell me, Open AI, that, that's, a pretty, that's a pretty big statement, right? Because Apple notoriously is, is quite closed and quite proprietary. And, and for Siri, really, it, it's an AI that needs as much information as it can in order for it to be useful for as many different services and to gather all that intelligence. Did it progress to where you wanted it to go? That's a great question. So I think it's always a balance. You want to be open but you also want some curation um, at, because otherwise the quality will just fall to some least common denominator. Um, and I've had other companies I've worked on. I was a founding member of change.org where we also wrestled with this kind of thing because if you just let anyone say anything or do anything or publish anything, 
the quality is not very, very good. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, you want a quality experience. So I actually think Apple's App Store um, is really a very good example where it's open. There are rules. Doesn't mean it's un, you know unregulated in some form, but any developer pretty much can create anything they want and and really create a business uh, out of this. Um, and Apple will offer this uh, to to a huge audience in a, a highly curated way. When you use an Apple app, you know it has certain design principles. It has certain quality guidelines that people come to rely on and they generally have a great experience when they're there. Um, so I did want that to happen uh, for Siri, something similar where there'd be some rules, some guidelines, some approval process to make sure that the content that was getting in had a good reputation, was good quality. But in general, I wanted an open ecosystem where any industry um, could, any company could publish their capabilities and any consumer could find the brands that they know and trust and have this enhanced, more powerful way of interacting uh, with those services and content from those companies that they care about. Um, so unfortunately, uh, Apple at the time, um, even though Steve believed in it, we'd never achieved that vision, at least as I anticipated it, um, uh, partly because uh, Siri, as I mentioned, launched October 4th, 2011. And the very next day, Steve Jobs uh, passed away, October 5th, 2011. And here's oh, something wow. that's not widely known that I'll share. Uh, about two or three years ago, uh, his executive admin wrote to me and says, I've been meaning to contact you for all these years. I didn't know how to reach you. I wanted to tell you that Steve Jobs was clinging to life to see the launch of Siri. And so literally he was holding on and fighting because Siri, uh, I think was really his great, his, his last great invention. You can say that he revolutionized computing, he revolutionized mobile with the iPhone, uh, music with um, you know, the, the whole way that media, media happens, movies with Pixar, um, but really AI in a form and Siri conversational AI, he was the first person to really see that. He didn't invent it, but he saw it and knew where it would go and said it is now ready to bring to the masses. And that was his creation. And, and he hung on until the Siri launched. And I like to think that he said, this is good. I know where this will go. Apple will be dominant and successful for the next decade because we are poised and ready with Siri. And then he passed away. And, you know, mm -hmm. to his, uh, his vision, many ways came, uh, came right, especially on the business side. The next six months um, after Siri launched were the greatest um, business uh, quarters in technology history and maybe in business history. In terms of profit margins, it shattered every record. Uh, Apple stock price um, went up from $350 just before Siri launched to $650 in the six months, the two quarters that followed, pretty much just shipping the iPhone 4S, which was the iPhone 4 plus Siri, a software uh, feature. And Apple passed Exxon as the largest market cap uh, in the world to become the number one most valued company in the world. I think largely 
um, because of Ceres. So uh, he knew where the world was going. He fought so hard to, to bring it to the world. Uh, and then he saw it um, and, and passed. But unfortunately, um, there was a lot of org change that followed his death. Some of the executives at the high level who um, you know, didn't understand fully the vision. And you know, that was a frustration to me. And so even though I was being very well paid and was excited about the future of Siri, I felt that the open um, AI vision I cared so deeply about would not happen uh, without Steve there. And so I walked away from Apple about nine months after Siri launched um, and then tried again, started a new company and you know, tried to go pursue that open AI vision. It's- I'm just sitting here in absolute awe because I'm hearing someone who there's not a single person probably in the world that doesn't admire Steve Jobs and his vision for what he was able to do. And as you were telling that story, it was ticking over in my head. I was going like, yep, revolutionized the computer, revolutionized the iPhone. And then, yeah, brought the, the AI to bear really ahead of time. And a lot of people, when they first launched it, were probably going, mm, this is a bit of a gimmick. But to your point, it's not. It had commercial value. It showed how far ahead he is. What, there's two questions to this. Firstly, the personal side. How did it feel knowing you know, the majority of the world is walking around with an assistant that you had the vision for? I want to start with that first before I go to the next part. Um, you know, it's, it's obviously cool. I mean, I, I'm so proud of what we did with Siri. And I do think we... We did something that the world didn't think was possible at mm. the time, right? To be able to understand language across a broad set of domains um, when, when, you know, people say, well, why doesn't it understand me? Language understanding is incredibly complex. Yep. And the yep. combinatorics, if I give you the sentence, book a four-star restaurant in Boston, instantly you know what I mean. There isn't any. You, they're all three stars. But think about it. Did you know that book is the name of a city in the United States? And uh, star is the name of a city in the United States. And there are 13 different Bostons in the United States. So which, which city am I even talking about? Yeah, wow. And there's a restaurant named, for, uh, named Star Restaurant. But I'm not talking about the restaurant named Star Restaurant. I said a four-star restaurant. That means something different. The combinatorics are very, very complicated just yeah. to understand any language. We are, you know, brilliant. Our brains do it effortlessly, but computers, much more of a challenge. So I'm very proud of what we accomplished. We moved the world forward. On the other hand, you know, I'm an entrepreneur, so I'm never quite satisfied. Uh, I feel like Siri achieved this, and I always dreamed about so much more. So in many ways, Siri was my greatest success. Uh, in many ways, it's my greatest failure. And so I just, I just take the good and, and then keep fighting and trying to make, you know, to pursue my, my dreams and my vision. So uh, yeah, it feels, it feels great. I'm happy with what we did. I'm not fully satisfied with what we did, and I will keep fighting from here. It's such a good motivation for everyone out there. It's like you don't just rest on one success. You got to keep coming back and that's just native to who you are. Where are we going then? 
if we've if you've spent this time developing to where we are and and i know in our chat we, you know and we're seeing this in the world ai is exploding now into just common business and and everyone's using it to get better intelligence to move faster to transform quicker where what are we going to do next so so you had mentioned how steve had transformed all these industries of movies and music and computing i like to say he was the first to really kick off the ai phase because if you think back in time if you go back into the 2000s and and google the word a artificial intelligence you don't get many people weren't using that term and weren't really working on those kinds of things in this in a commercial setting um, and i i remember uh right after siri was bought he um was interviewed he was at a conference the d8 conference um, with walt mossberg and Walt asked him, why did you buy Siri, that, that search company? And he goes, oh, no, they're not a search company. They're an AI company. And no one knew what he meant. But then after that, almost like a drip, drip, drip from a dam before the water explodes, mm. you know, all of this AI started to happen. And actually, things that I never thought I would see in my lifetime started to emerge in the next 10 years after Steve Jobs really uttered those words. So think about it, uh, Jeopardy, um, mm -hmm. which is one of the most cultural games that we play, right? It knows all sorts of trivia, and but, but cultural knowledge, uh, a machine beat the world's best humans at, at Jeopardy, understanding the language and synthesizing answers that I never thought I would see that, right? Google, which was a search engine company back then, acquired eight robot companies. I'm like, yep. what, you know, what is, what is that about? I don't, I don't understand. There was, uh, I, you know, I tell this story about, uh, I was driving next to my son, a teenage son, and he's, you know, he's got blase mastered, right? He's not impressed with anything. <laughs> and I look over, I go, hey, Noah, wanna see the most impressive, technology advance since Siri. And that's a big, in our yeah. household, that's that's big news, sure big statement. And he goes, yeah, dad, whatever. Yeah. And I'm driving my wife's car and we're coming up to a curve and I lift my hands off the wheel and I'm like, ah, oh, I think I'll stretch. And he's like, dad, what are you doing? And then the car seamlessly navigates by itself around the curve on the highway. And he's like, dad, that's insane. And I'm like, I know, it's crazy. I never thought I'd see that in my lifetime. And yet, not only was it the self-driving capability impressive, the craziest part was it was an over-the-air update. My, my, my phone gets updates, but my car added self-driving capability as an over-the-air update that's the night before. That's crazy. Didn't do that, that I'm like, that's crazy, right? So yeah. technology is advancing. Um, I think today, if you look at industry, if you're not applying AI in your business to solve, you know, precise, narrow, decision-oriented problems, you're probably hurting your, your business, right? It's, it's come to that level of importance, which when Siri launched at the beginning, we were not there uh, as an industry. Siri was like one of the first examples of an AI, of AI applied um, in business, right? Steve took it and applied it to his business and became the most successful 
market cap company uh, of the age. Um, so where are we going? You know, a lot of times people start to go, oh my gosh, AI is taking over. Now, yeah. now everyone knows the words, right? Uh, is AI something I need to fear? And, you know, there's, there are these great quotes. Um, you know, Stephen Hawking says, um, you know, uh, let me get the exact, exact quote if I have it. He said, um, the development of full artificial intelligence could spell the end of, of the human race. Mm -hmm. And Elon Musk, who's actually invested in AI heavily, he says, with artificial intelligence, we're summoning the demon, right? So people are now like very scared about AI. Luckily, I can tell you that as an expert, which, you know, Stephen and, and Elon are incredible, but they're not in AI. Most experts, including myself, say AI is important, but it is not intelligent in the way humans are. Uh, it is not going to be able to replace human intelligence. Humans are so good at what's called general intelligence. So today we can solve very narrow, precise problems like uh, drive a car or you know play chess. But the chess playing program can't play checkers. The the self-driving car can't do anything else, right? And uh, one of the most innovative companies, uh, DeepMind, which Google acquired, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. they started out playing um, with games, human-oriented games like break, Atari games like Breakout and with the balls. And it learned to perform that at superhuman level. But if you just changed the luminosity by 2%, humans couldn't even still look like the same game but the machine wasn't able to adapt and the whole thing fell apart, right? So today's AIs are very tuned and brittle. They are not mm. you know, generally intelligent anywhere close to even the level of a two-year-old who can look at one situation, extract out the significant aspects of what that situation, generalize, apply it to a different situation and do something useful, incredible and, and purposeful. It's adapt, isn't it? Is that what you're saying? It's, it's adapting. It's like Charles Darwin's theory of evolution. It's like as humans have evolved, we've learned to adapt, but these machines can't adapt without us manipulating them. That's right. And, and that and we are adaptable at a level that we have and uh, that machines don't have the ability to do. And I've seen almost no useful approaches that I believe will get us there. We're very, very good at kind of converging to a solution with a lot of training data to solve a problem, uh, but we are not very good at, or not even on the beginning of the path to generalizing. And without that, um, AI is an important tool. It's like a hammer. You know, hammers are great. They're better than our hands for pounding in a nail, right? If you're using a business, you should be applying AI to solve your nails, right? That they're great at that, uh, but it's a hammer. It's not gonna take over the human race or be more intelligent than we are. And I think that's um, really important to keep, keep in mind. I don't think that will happen in our lifetime, despite some famous prognosticators like Ray Kurzweil, who's, he's got an incredible track record but he says that by 2029, 
machines will be as intelligent as humans. And that by 2045, uh, they will be billions of times more intelligent than humans. And then that will basically spell the end of human race. That's, you know, eight years from now. There's no way, I believe, and most experts believe, I mean, that a machine is going to do that. You change the luminosity 2% and the whole thing falls apart, right? That's, that's kind of where, uh, where we are today. Um, so well, hopefully that, that emphasizes where is it going? You know, I think if you're doing a business, you should be applying AI to solve your specific problems. But there's really nothing to fear from it because there's no level of consciousness. There's no level of adaptability and generality that that's really so important for true intelligence. Well, I'm feeling a little bit more uplifted that the AI isn't going to wipe us out in the next 30 years and we shouldn't fear embracing it and, and using it for the purpose which we have at hand. So I could keep going and keep talking for ages, but they gave us a time schedule and told us we can't go on for too much longer. Is there any closing thoughts you wanted to leave with anyone when it comes to AI? Um, I think that's mostly it, what I, what I said. I, I think find the ways to apply AI in your business or find, you know, but as a tool. And I think it's really, really important to do it. I would emphasize that, you know, I'm a huge believer in open AI systems. I don't want an AI that has been programmed mm -hmm. by Apple or Amazon or Google or any one company to be what they think is the assistant or the AI that I want. I, as a consumer, want to be able to really build my own assistant. Think of it as with the iPhone, you download the apps you want to define your mobile experience from the brands you know and trust. And so for in the voice space in particular, for me, that's the next challenge to come, which is have an open ecosystem uh, where literally each end consumer can create the assistant they've always wanted to they've always wanted to have with the, the things they care about, the brands they know, the trust, the functions they want. Um, have an app store, an open app store, um, that that they get to shape their experience just like we do today with mobile phones. So, I'm excited about the future. Um, you know, I think uh, what you guys are doing is is helping move things forward. Um, I think I think you know the sky's the limit of what can be done. Uh, within the limit of tools. I don't see AI going beyond uh, human level capacity in my lifetime. Well, that's good to know. But also congratulations because you've done almost the equivalent of putting someone on the moon. When you think about the complexity of what was achieved um, and to bring an AI through our generation and basically take the whole industry with you. If you go all the way back to when you first started this, it's absolutely remarkable to think that you started in 93, which was two or three years before I even had an email account or even knew what an email was and to your point before a browser. But uh, what a remarkable um, journey you've been on. Congratulations. I know that it sounds like there's a lot of opportunity out there and uh, knowing you as an entrepreneur, I'm sure you're away thinking up what's next for everyone and we look forward to seeing that when it eventually comes to fruition and I love the concept of the open AI as well I think that's absolutely critical um, but Adam thank you so much for being part of the podcast and part of the event and um, we wish you all the best in the future and we look forward to seeing what you're going to come up with next okay thank you so much Dave appreciate it cheers